And we welcome you into our homes again for another episode of the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble. Coming up on today's show, his first Cleveland media interview. It's Nick Harris, center out of Washington. A gentleman that we took with pick number 160 in the fifth round. He is a Cleveland Brown. He will join the best podcast available. We'll talk to him about his upbringing through high school, putting on weight in college, figuring out that he was going to be a red shirt, then not be a red shirt, uh, to going up against the Alabama Crimson Tide as a true freshman. We'll talk to him about all those things and a lot more coming up in the best podcast available. And Gribbs, uh, a few days removed from the draft and the, the results and the grades that all the experts like to give are coming in. And I know you have an article out on clevelandbrowns.com about it. But uh, the experts seem to agree we did quite a nice job this past weekend in the NFL draft. Yeah, and I think the the big reason why, and your draft grades are usually based on what you're able to do in the first round, and I think it, it clearly was the Browns got their filled their biggest position of need with a player that most believed was the best tackle in the draft. So I think that right there is going to start you at at least probably a B plus with a lot of people. And then uh, I do think a lot of a lot believe that the Browns scored some major value getting Grant Elpit in the second round. Uh, and a popular pick among a, a number of analysts, I would say that maybe didn't get a ton of buzz with local media or even, you know, most media was, I think, the Jordan Elliott pick. I, I think a lot of people view this player as having a lot of upside, plays defensive tackle, and not only is he defensive tackle, but he's a pass-rushing defensive tackle, which you can't have enough of. And I, I think that the combination of value and talent uh, with what the Browns were able to do at, at number 88 while also getting a future third-round pick and uh, doing so, I think that, that won a lot of people over with, with what the Browns were able to accomplish over the weekend. What are some of the other takeaways uh, now that you go back and look back upon what we did over the weekend? What are some more of your takeaways that you found, the research that you've been doing, and, and a lot of the stories you've been putting out on ClevelandBrowns.com? Well, first thing, I mean, the, the Browns didn't draft uh, a cornerback for the first time since 2008, which is just, I mean, that's, that's a long time. And I, I think that that's the reflection, I think, of maybe this draft class. Uh, and also, I would say, the, the team's situation at, at corner. I, I do think they'll add maybe a player to an undrafted free agency. You know, there's been reports about the, the infamously named AJ Green out of Oklahoma State. Uh, and there, you'll probably have some room to add some veterans as well. But that just shows how many corners the Browns have been taking uh, these last 12 years. Uh, and I just think that, secondly, it's like it's, it, it's about the sixth round. And I think that really put a bow on the Browns draft in a lot of people's eyes because it seemed like Donovan Peoples-Jones has quite a fan club among analysts, among coaches, among players. You usually don't get much attention for anything you do in the sixth round. I mean, this was on the same level of drafting a quarterback in the sixth round. I mean, the kind of uh, media attention the Browns have gotten for this, because I think that a lot of people see him as a player who is misused and just kind of left to be average at Michigan. And I think that there's just a lot of potential there. He's a good, good kid, great family. Uh, steps into a great situation where, unlike Michigan, he's not going to be expected to do huge things right away. And I, I think when, you, when you're drafting on upside and, and, and traits in the later rounds as opposed to, man, we might need this guy to play, I, I think that's, that's a big difference and ultimately shapes out what people think of what you did in the draft. Yeah, again, a great job by Andrew Barry, by Kevin Stefanski and company in their first draft in their respective roles. Some really good things. I want to go back – 
to what you were talking about earlier, and that's that pick of Jordan Elliott, 6'4", 303 pounds out of Missouri. You mentioned it. A lot of people, I, a lot of people look past it. Everybody talks about picks one and two. Like you said, they talk about pick number six. They love Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, of all the rookies, I have a feeling he's going to make a run once uniform numbers get revealed. People are going to be buying the jersey, I got a feeling. Um, and this, you know, it was a, it's a seven-person draft class. But the one that really no one is talking about is Jordan Elliott. And now all of a sudden, there's a lot of depth on that defensive line. Yeah, I mean, he fits in nicely from a skill set perspective as well because, you know, you've got Sheldon and Larry as your starters, and they're, they're really quality starters, but even then they're defensive linemen. They don't play every, every snap of every game. You know, last year the Browns, when they were healthy, were rotating guys in like Elianku uh, and Deborah Lawrence, so you need these guys to play. And I think he complements Andrew Billings really well if you're trying to make like a depth chart here because Andrew Billings – is a, is a quality defensive lineman, a run stuffer. He's not someone that's going to get to the quarterback a lot. Though. Jordan Elliott gets to the quarterback. Uh, and I think he's someone who began his career at Texas, transferred to Missouri, uh, and, and really just kind of blossomed as, as a senior there. And, and really, even though Missouri wasn't very good, I mean, he was a, he was a great player uh, on that defensive line. And, you know, he, he just he, – he, he wasn't – defensive tackle wasn't exactly a position of need that you identify going into this draft, but certainly after what we experienced last year, you know, this, this was a position you need to load up on as much as possible because uh, injuries can pile up uh, in, in a real hurry uh, with these guys. And I, I do have one tidbit about Jordan Elliott, courtesy of Dan Murphy, Jamon Moore and Jordan Elliott, both from Missouri city, Texas and played at Missouri, different state, and now play for the Cleveland Browns. That's, uh, that's a pretty unique fact-finding mission people, right there. Yeah, people say there's an LSU pipeline for this team. <laughs> I think there's a Missouri City to Missouri, Tex Missouri City, Texas to Missouri to Cleveland Browns pipeline going on here. Yeah, not too shabby at all. That's, uh, that's pretty good. The other guy I think that got lost in the, in the mix and in the shuffle was Jacob Phillips. Uh, linebacker that we took out of LSU. The date, the round three guys seem to get lost in the Grant Delpit wave that came yeah. through on it's Friday. It's also late. Yeah, those are some late picks. I mean, eleven forty, I think, is when we made that pick. Yeah, I mean, that's that that plays into it as well. But I also think it's probably because Jacob Phillips was. It's a combination of like big school, but overshadowed by a lot of other players. I mean, I think that's the. That might be that might have taken away some of the buzz of the Jacob Phillips pick. You know, a lot of people, for example, knew about a Logan Wilson at Wyoming because he was like the big deal at Wyoming, and the Bengals took him. And a lot of people believe they got a starting linebacker for the future. But you know, Jacob Phillips is a quality player that played next to Patrick Queen and was just a sure tackler. I think that's the big thing that stands out to him, and I, I think he'll have the same chances to contribute as anyone else. I, I don't know if there's really any locked in guys on that defense right now. I would assume you'd, you'd peg Mac Wilson and, and BJ Goodson in some way, shape and form. But after that, it's just going to be a mixing and matching of who can, who can fill the needs that Joe Woods wants on that defense and who can do it best. And Phillips, I think has probably a, 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 a clearer path to playing time than maybe Jordan Elliott does right away. But both I think are going to have some kind of role in this defense this year. Yeah, no question about it. We are presented by our great friends at Arby's. No beef and cheddar yet, but I plan on getting one a little bit later. 
right before Cleveland Browns Daily on this Thursday. So we appreciate Arby's coming on board and we thank them for everything that they're doing for us and their sponsorship and their partnership with the Cleveland Browns. Gribs, we were talking draft grades. Everybody mostly A's. Some people gave everybody A's. Others, like Mel Kuyper, gave one team A and A, and everybody else basically got a B unless you were the Packers or the, or the Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> I don't know how the Packers are doing their version of best podcast available this week. That's a tough sell. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure how you're trotting out uh, the people that you're trotting out or what you're saying, but good news. That is, uh, that is not the situation here in Cleveland. But mostly A's couple B's. The lowest grade, though, came from Pete Prisco, good friend uh, on the Cleveland Browns Daily Show from CBSSports.com. He gave the Browns a B-. minus. His worst pick, he put Grant Delpit. Now, the reason for that, outstanding in 2018, didn't play as well in 2019, didn't tackle that well for LSU, could be a boomer bust guy in the second round. We've heard what Grant Delpit thinks about that and people questioning his ability to tackle. The skinny, they have a lot of questions in this draft. They, if they work it out, it'll be a good one. Can Jedrick Wills move from right tackle to the left side? Will Delpit revert to his old playing, uh, old ways of playing? If all the answers are yes, it will be good. His best pick, fifth-round center, Nick Harris. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of people that were excited about that Nick Harris pick. I think that people saw a really good center that was being maybe wrongly judged because of his height. So I think that maybe Nick Harris might have ultimately been the best value in terms of what people graded him and where he, you actually got him. I mean, the Delpit thing is, and, and Wills, are, those are fair questions. And I, I think that those are questions we've been addressing for a while here. I, I just tend to think that both of those questions, I'm betting on yes more than I'm betting on no. And I think that's what the Browns believe. And I, I think that's why you end up getting those players at those spots, because maybe some teams did have some questions about that, but the Browns are there to take advantage of it. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of questions with some of these guys, but I think it's questions that with good coaching, um, thing, all those questions disappear and we start seeing results and success on the football field. Well, Pete Prisco's best pick for the Cleveland Browns was center Nick Harris out of Washington. He's got a great story. He was kind enough to give us a few minutes of his time and for the first interview, of anyone here in Cleveland, whether it was with the Browns or with the media, Nick Harris sat down and joined the best podcast available. And we're happy to be joined right now on the best podcast available by one of the new Cleveland Browns drafted uh, in the fifth round out of the University of Washington. Center Nick Harris joins us. Uh, and Nick, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. Welcome to the Cleveland Browns from a virtual standpoint, from a faraway distance. We're happy to have you, and uh, congratulations on uh, what I'm sure has been a weekend you and your family won't soon forget. Yeah, it's been, it's been an exciting, exciting opportunity, and, you know, we're, we're excited to get out to Cleveland and, you know, just get to work and play ball. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Nick, just uh, kind of walk us through your, your draft weekend. What was, what was it like from maybe Thursday to Saturday once you finally got that call from the Browns? Yeah, so, I mean, as of recent, I've been in Seattle just by my school um, working out and, um, you know, just trying to keep my mind on things. But I flew back home to L.A. because that's where I'm originally from um, just to be with my family, just my immediate family. 
Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I went through all emotions, um, in those couple of days, you know, anxious, excited, angry, mad, happy. Um, but you know, once I got that call, all that stuff went away and, um, you know, just grateful for the opportunity that the, you know, Cleveland Browns organization has given me and, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, just take it and go and run with it. Did you have any conversations with the Browns leading up to uh, to draft weekend? Had you met with them? Had you talked to them? Had you talked to them at the combine at all? Uh, I talked with them briefly. Um, I, I want to say at the combine, real briefly, but nothing, nothing too like too in depth. That's why I kind of, I kind of threw me off. I was like, wow, I, I didn't even have like that that much interaction with the, you know, with the Browns. So you know. It was, it was, it caught me off guard, but you know, you know, everything happens for a reason and I'm excited for it. Now, did you know much about the, the Browns offensive scheme beforehand and what have you gotten to learn about it and how a lot of people think you're kind of the, the, the kind of center that this offense uh, uses? Yeah. You know, I mean, I have, I have heard some things um, and obviously in going through this process, I just wanted to be in the right fit. You know, I want to, you know, get into an offense where I, I can use my my abilities to my, you know, to the best I can. And I have heard that it, it is an offense where I, they people think I can succeed, and I also do too. So I'm excited to, you know, get going and trying to learn this playbook, and you know, just try to just try to get better every day and learn from the guys who are already there, and um, you know, just try to learn and become a pro too in this offense. So, you know, I'm I'm definitely excited for that. What have the challenges been for you leading up to draft weekend? You know, I mean, not being able to take visits and, and, and meet with teams that maybe wanted to spend yeah. a little more time with you from the draft. Uh, how do you get ready? You know, there's no pro days. What, what, was, what was the process like for you in these months leading up to the draft when it, you're already trying to figure your way out through this process and, and know how lengthy it is, but then all the curveballs of what's happened here in the world and in the last 45 days. I mean, you know, just from what I've heard from everybody else who has already gone through the process that I missed, I missed a lot, you know, no visits, none of that stuff. So, um, you know, it was, it was kind of nerve wracking because there's just so many uncertainties, you know, no, so many unknowns. I didn't know what to do, what to expect. So, you know, I just tried to stay ready, you know, just tried to stay mentally, physically ready, um, tried to stay in contact with that, with whoever I could. Um, and, you know, just, just made sure that, you know, I was always readily available to anybody who wants to call or anything. So um, definitely was weird. It was uncertain. Um, but, you know, it turned out, it turned out good at the end, I guess. <laughs> what kind of uh, workouts are you able to do under these uh, kind of limitations? Like how, how, yeah, how is so it different? Funny story, I'm actually working out in my strength coaches at UW's garage. <laughs> um, so, I, and he has everything I need. There's, I have a lot, enough equipment. Um, you know, I have everything you need to, you know, lift and train. So, I haven't really missed the beat since, like, I haven't had anywhere not to work out at all. So, you know, everything's been good. I, I, I work out the majority of the days a week and you know it, it's been good it's been a smooth smooth ride with uh, working out all right so you mentioned uh up at UW working out of a garage there and strength conditioning coach you're from California why Washington it was the only D1 offer I had out of high school um so 
I did, there was no, <laughs> there really was no other option. So I, 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 you know, I knew I wanted to play um, at that level. I knew I was capable. Um, so when I, when the opportunity presented itself, I had to take it for sure. I mean, it definitely was, definitely was a blessing. It came late and, you know, I'm happy, you know, coach Peterson gave me that the opportunity to go ahead and, you know, play there. And, and I think it turned out pretty well at the end. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> were the coaches, uh, were the coaches at New Hampshire heartbroken? That you, you you turn them down? <laughs> uh, uh, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, but you know, they kind of saw they they kind of knew I would eventually get found by someone. Um, so they, they were they were they were good about it, and you know, I always kept in contact with them for just just giving me the opportunity for sure. I, I'm sure the family had to be fairly happy that you stayed on the West Coast and didn't go all the way to New Hampshire. Traveling to the East Coast for football games, I'm sure it was. A little oh, bit yeah. of a challenge for them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good to stay on the West Coast for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, when you take a look at the program, you get on campus, you think you're going to redshirt, or at least that's what you were told. What, yeah. What's the mentality you have when you show up on that first day? And take us through that process from you step on campus, you, you start practicing in anticipation for the fall, you're going to be a redshirt. And then all of a sudden, you're not a red shirt, and you're playing right. right in the thick of things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you said it right. I mean, I had all intentions of red shirting. <laughs> I was 270 pounds my freshman year, um, so you know, I, I had all intentions of getting bigger and learning the playbook, learning the offense, just learn how to be a college athlete. Um, but I didn't let that stop my development um, in camp. You know, I tried to learn a playbook as fast as I could. Um, just played fast. That was my one thing. I just wanted to play fast because, you know, you you can mess up, but if you mess up going 100%, um, you know, they can't knock you for your effort, you know. So that's something I, you know, I try to help, like hold my hat on. Um, and, you know, the coaches, they were surprised at how fast I picked it up, how fast I was playing. Um, and, you know, they presented me the opportunity. They didn't force it. They were like, if you, if you want to, like, if you want to play, you know, we would love that, and, you know, we really think you can help the team. But if not, you know, you can redshirt and really, you know, grow. And I, I wanted to get on the field as fast as I could. <laughs> I wanted to play football. I didn't want to sit. So, you know, when it, when it presented itself, I, I took it, and, you know, I think, I think it worked out. Now, you, you were recruited as a center, right? I mean, so were you surprised that they even gave you that look at, at, at guard then? Well, so I was recruited as a center, but I played tackle in high school. So I didn't really play center in high school, um, but obviously because my like my height, they recruited me as a center. Um, but I was taking a lot of reps at guard for like injury purposes because we had a lot of injuries in camp that year. So they just threw me in at guard, and you know I I kind of got it fast. I got the hang of it. And, um, I wasn't surprised, um, but you know I got used to it fast, and it was it was fun. I I loved playing guard. Was your first live action in a college football game against Alabama? No, 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 no. Okay. So I, no. <laughs> I thought no, I, I read that somewhere. and No, I played um, a lot that year. So I, I had five, four starts, but I played in all the games except two of them. So it wasn't my first college action. So my first college action was against Rutgers that year. It was the first game. Um, but I did play against Alabama, though. So that, that did happen, yeah. <laughs> And how was that? It was pretty crazy. You know, I just turned 18. 
um, you know, and it was, it was definitely was a, it was a learning experience for sure. I mean, um, you know, that, that whole defense is in the NFL now. So, uh, you know, it was definitely some talent, you know, I went back, watched the game, you know, figured out what I needed to work on. And um, that off season, you know, it definitely motivated me to get back and get ready to go. Cause you know, I, I definitely had the, I had the tools. I just had to put some weight on. I had to get some confidence. I had to, you know, so definitely went back, looked at it and helped me grow for the next year for sure. So, so, Nick, what was the process like for you then moving to center? Like, how did you had you had you ever done it before in high school? I know you said you play tackle, but what was it yeah. like learning the position? Yeah, so I played center uh, one game in high school because our center got hurt. Um, so I kind of knew how to snap already. Like that, and it's never been a big deal for me learning how to snap. It wasn't really that mm-hmm. hard. Um, but you know, it's the it's the taking control of you know having everybody you know listening to you and you're making the calls and you're making the adjustments you know you're you're mic pointing and all that stuff so um that was the thing that I had to I had to get used to but it wasn't hard because I'm a vocal person as is like I like talking I like you know being in control of things so um it wasn't that wasn't difficult it was just something new that I had to learn how to you know you know control so it wasn't a hard transition at all actually I think it it was way easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, there, obviously, there was some technical things I had to work on with my footwork and, you know, pass setting is different as a center and run blocking is different as a center because you got to snap the ball first. So your hands are on different time, uh, like on, on a different time. So um, from a technical standpoint, it wasn't difficult, just something new to learn. And, you know, I, I think it worked out for me. What was the biggest challenge in putting on the weight? Did you, do you have a crazy shake? Do you have like some of the other guys that were coming out? Uh, yeah. Some horror stories of things that they uh, put together to put on pounds. No, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't even say it was a challenge. Um, it was just staying on it. You know, I had to be, I had to really mature and like grow in that aspect of taking my nutrition serious because I knew it would, you know, it, it helped me in on the field. So um, I just had to stay on it and make sure I was eating the right stuff and, um, putting on the right weight and making sure I just had a schedule, a plan. You know, I was talking to our nutritionist all the time. So, you know, it was just a maturity thing. Just had to learn how to manage my nutrition and get stuff eaten by the right time, the certain amount of calories, certain amount of this, certain amount of that. So um, just a maturity thing, really. But it wasn't tough, though, at all. When did you grow into a, a leader at Washington, would you say? Um, I would say my junior, my junior, when I started playing center is when I, I kind of, I grew into a more vocal presence. You know, I, I started to feel more comfortable on the, on the team. And, um, at that time playing center, um, with, you know, with veteran guys on the O line, you know, they, they started to listen to me. So I started to realize that I did have some, you know, a kind of a role on that team as a, as a leader. So I, I really, I really understood that. Um, my junior year and then my senior year it was the whole team at first it was just the offensive line just the offense but I realized how much you know the team fed off of my energy and fed off the things I said so I would say my junior year and then my senior year really kind of grew the whole team and as as being a leader. What has made you the most successful um, technique or mental which one, uh, which one do you pride yourself on, on that's really kind of helped you take your game to the next level? Yeah, I mean, both, honestly. I, both is, are, those are two things I definitely take 
um, you know, really serious because, you know, playing center, um, you got to be locked in mentally. You got to know, you got to know more than the average person <laughs> about football and you got to know more about everything. Um, and the technique wise, you know, not being a big, a big mauler guy, like a not, you know, big six, five, three twenty guy, you know, you gotta, you gotta learn some tools to, you know, achieve blocks and, um, you know, make sure that you, you're, you're sharp out there because, you know, I'm not the biggest dude, but the technique has to stand out and has to be on point and you have to make sure you get blocks made. And, um, so definitely those are the two things I, I make sure. And, you know, watching film for both of those things is huge learning from other guys and, um, learning different tricks of the trade for sure. So both of those things are definitely uh, something I take pride in for sure. And Nick was the, the moment, uh, against Arizona state in 2018, you probably know what I'm talking about. Is that the most famous you ever felt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, I mean, that was crazy. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was just something I did. Uh, we, me and that guy, were going back and forth the whole game. You know, talking mess to each other, and um, he, I was getting to his head, and I was just messing. I was just messing around, I was being myself. Um, but after that game, my phone was going crazy, and it was blowing up, and. It like froze and I, I just had a whole bunch of notifications and stuff. So yeah, it was the most famous I felt for sure. <laughs> you, you had a lot of accolades in college, uh, a lot of awards, a lot of recognition uh, for your play at Washington from a conference standpoint, from a national standpoint. Um, is there an accolade that stands out to you? Is there an award that means more to you than any uh, out of all the ones that you've been able to achieve so far? Um, I think, mm, I think that my, the two, the two Pac-12 championships mean a lot, um, you know, because I, I was, I contributed on both of those. Um, you know, I played through that whole, both of those whole games and those, you know, those games were good games. They were grinders and we got the job done. But I think the, the, the main one I'm pretty proud of is um, one of our banquet awards I got, um, it's called the Guy Flaherty Award. And it's, and it's voted by the whole team. And it's basically um, just the most inspirational player. You know, the person that, you know, inspires you to come to the stadium every day and, you know, put your best foot forward. And um, someone you can lean on when, you know, you're not feeling it that morning. And, you know, the whole my whole team, um, you know, voted for me. And I, that meant a lot because it, it, it made me realize, like, the effect I had on my team. You know, I don't really realize it because going through it, you know, you're just trying to worry about getting your job done, you know. But it it kind of, you know, resonated with me that, like, damn, I did have an impact on these guys. And, you know, I kind of want to keep building on that characteristic of that going forward into the next level. So, um, yeah, that one definitely that, that one definitely meant the most for sure. What about uh, what you do on the field? translates to a, a wide zone scheme like what specifically why why are you the the right fit in those kind of schemes um I would just say my athleticism I think um I move laterally laterally very well um I'm, I'm pretty quick my short area quickness is pretty well I mean I have pretty good hand placement I'm on reach blocks and stuff like that and I really pride myself on um, blocking on the second and third level um it's not an easy task as an lineman but um, it's something I, I really love doing. It's, it's super fun. Um, and just, I don't know, just the nature of how I play, you know, I'm, a, I'm a naturally just a quick guy, just a faster guy. So um, it'll be definitely, I think it, th those two things definitely are suitable for being in a wide zone offense for sure.
Well, Nick, we appreciate your time today. And you have some great guys in that offensive line room to learn from and, and Joel Batonio yes, and J.C. Treader and uh, a guy that used to play here by the name of Joe Thomas, who was pretty good yes, sir. in his yes, own sir. way. So uh, I know that Joe speaks very highly of you. He did so uh, on, uh, on Cleveland Browns Daily, on the Browns Daily radio show uh, earlier on Tuesday. And uh, we wish you all the best of luck here. And can't wait to get you here eventually. Can't wait eventually. for us. Yeah, exactly. For us to be able to move on and, yeah. and move forward here. And uh, hopefully we're playing some football come fall. And we wish you all the best of luck. Keep working out in that garage. And uh, we look forward to talking with you soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Special thanks to Nick Harris, formerly of the Washington Huskies. Although he's training in his strength and conditioning coach in his garage right now. Yeah, do what uh, you can. God bless all of them. Every player has found a way to, to stay in shape and work out. And meanwhile, I've found a way to consume a lot more adult beverages in, in life and maybe eat more food than I normally would, which is saying something that Never mind. That's neither here nor there. I mean, for, for Nick Harris, the struggle's real. I mean, the offensive linemen, I think, have it the toughest here. Like, I think that especially guys that are naturally smaller, I think that for the position they play, I think that's where it gets tough. I mean, I, I you know, uh, using my own uh, terrible personal fitness, for example, I, I used to involve weights in what I used to do before this. I haven't seen a weight since this all started. I'm just running. I'm doing cardio and everything like that because that's, that's what's easiest. You know, P90X might not work for some of these offensive linemen they're trying to, to keep some muscle on. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how these guys go about it. I, I do think all these guys, are, though, are finding some kind of way uh, to get it done. And I think that's it's a credit to them to, to get creative with this. Well, I mean, when we get the green light to finally start things, it's going to be hitting the ground on a dead sprint. It's, it's not hopping on the treadmill at a slow walk and an incline and working your way up. It's going to be, we got to go. I have a feeling. And these guys are going to have to be ready to go right from day one. Uh, big takeaways from Nick Harris. He's a fun guy. I think, he, and I think he's going to be open to whatever the Browns have planned for him. I don't, I don't think he's going to be pushing to – he knows, I think, that they've got a veteran with J.C. Treader ahead of him at center, and he knows that he's probably long-term a center in the NFL. But if they tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, let's see what you can do at right guard, uh, I don't think that'll stop him. And I, I think – his height really might be a limitation at, at, at guard. I haven't checked the numbers, but I can't imagine there aren't many 6'1 guards in the NFL. But he's done it before, and it, and if, it seems like he's overcome the odds there. So, I mean, that right guard competition for the Browns is wide open. So I can't rule him out. I wouldn't call him the favorite, but uh, he's certainly in the mix there now. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to see the kid just wants to play and make a difference. And he wants to – and he's a leader – uh, you take a look at all the obstacles he's had to overcome, the questions about you're too, that, that you're too short, even though you're two, in, if two inches taller, you'd be like a, a first-round draft pick. All the questions he's had to endure and overcome, and he seems like a great kid. He comes from a great family and uh, worked his way up and really is a guy that I think once Bill Callahan gets his hands on him, and can develop him, I think the sky's the limit for him. And I think that the Callahan connection can't be understated enough. Yeah, and I can't, under, I, I can't overstate enough the importance of having multiple people that can play center on your roster. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just so important. I mean, you, you, you need that skill set. You don't want to have to 
basically what you don't want to have to do is rearrange your entire offensive line if the center gets hurt. You want to be able to plug someone in that is the backup center and not have to move any other positions. I think most teams do not have that luxury, uh, but the Browns, I think, will uh, this season by having a true backup center as opposed to moving this guard over here and this guard, this guy over there. I mean, that, that, that just causes a lot more problems. Yeah. All right. So taking a look at that offensive line room, your centers are Treader, Willie Wright, uh, Nick Harris, Evan Brown, a guy that you, that you brought in from the Giants. Uh, your tackles, Wills, Conklin, Lamb, Hubbard, guards are Batonio, Teller, Forbes. Uh, I might be missing a couple other guys on, on the very back end of that roster, but uh, those, are, those are the big names right now as we, uh, as we see it. And those are the big names as we get ready for camp and the 2020 NFL season. It's a much deeper offensive line room than it was five months ago. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting. I would imagine the Browns would add a couple more bodies at tackle. I mean, four probably isn't enough right now, especially, you know, if Chris, Chris Hubbard can play all those spots. I mean, if he – maybe if they give him a shot at right guard. I mean, that, that'll be interesting. And then you definitely need to add uh, some more players at tackle. Uh, the right guard competition, I would, I would say it's wide open. I, I, I imagine the, the, the betting favorite, if, if there is such a thing, would be Wyatt Teller because he finished the season as your right guard. He played pretty well. You also parted with a fifth and sixth round pick to get him on your roster. I mean, that's no small amount of compensation. So uh, I think there's a belief that he can get the job done, especially with a full off season and just not being thrown into things kind of late in the process. I, but, you know, we all saw what Drew Forbes was able to accomplish in a month of training camp. He got really he he improved a lot. That injury kind of just ruined his his potential that season. So I don't know if another roster move is necessary, but it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if you don't like what you see coming out of training camp with the, with those guys. Yeah, it, it's it's a nice room, and now you're looking at Wills, Conklin, Betonio, Teller, or Hubbard, uh, or Forbes, I guess, at the guard spot, and then Treader at center. I mean, that's. That is a significantly upgraded front line if you're Baker Mayfield. It has to make you pretty happy going into the season. Yeah, and it, it'll just be it'll be interesting to see how these guys adjust to Kevin Stefanski's system. And I, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see how they're learning it virtually. And I think that you've got some smart guys in that room that can really pick things up quickly. Uh, for Jedrick Wills, it's brand new. He's not comparing it to anything else from the past. So – I have confidence in them. It, it, you know, obviously we just wish that Jedrick Wills could get out there so quickly and get every possible rep uh, at that new position because it, it is going to be an adjustment, but it's one that he's been prepared for. Well, that's Wills having to adjust and be a rookie and do it all virtually in terms of a learning process. Um, Whatever is going to happen with Nick Harris and his learning process all being done virtually and, and I don't think that we can shortchange Conklin, you know, uh, being a free agent coming in, having to learn a new offense and having to do it from far away and not with his teammates and not get the reps. He needs the reps almost a, as much as Wills does from a timing standpoint and where everybody's going to be and where everybody lines up. Yeah, the real advantages during all of this are the, the teams that, that had some continuity. You know, I've been looking around – the AFC North recently and you know a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers is returning their entire starting defense all 11 starters are coming back on that team I mean that's just that's something that the Browns can't do when you're when you change coaches and, and a GM you're going to have some some roster turnover uh so it's it's a hard thing to do but 
they're going to have to adapt and they're going to have to lean on some of these guys who have, who have done this before, but everyone's learning something new. So, and I do think most NFL teams, they're going to have to deal with this in some way. It's just going to be the ones who handle it the best moving forward. Yeah. Would you say the offensive line room as it's constructed right now is probably one of the top three positions on this football team? Oh boy. That's a, that's a tough one. Cause I, I was going to go top five, but then I was like, oh, let's make yeah. it. I don't, I don't know if I go top three. Cause I, I, I think the, the easiest answers right now for me are probably running back uh, and, and probably tight end or, or wide receiver. I would put, uh, I would put ahead of, of, of offensive line at the moment, but it's definitely, certainly has improved the most in the last month. Cause I think you were entering an off season with, just unknowns at, at both of the tackle positions. And you, you go in with the ambition of fixing those in free agency, but one, you got one of the few guys who you feel good about in free agency that was available. So that's, that's a big win. And then two, you have the, the tackle that you want fall to you, which was not guaranteed uh, going into this draft. So I, I think a lot of good things have happened to that group. And now it's just going to be a matter of, of going into the season and, and making it click uh, on an expedited timeline. Well, there will be a virtual rookie minicamp. We do know that May 8th through the 10th uh, with all the rookies, including the uh, post-draft undrafted signees. And hopefully we should get that list again. There's a lot of pieces and parts with having to get all those guys figured out. You're talking physicals and you're talking everything else in terms of getting those guys up and, and being cleared before you announce their signings. But uh, you'll have that going on. And then the rookies then will be incorporated in with the vets for the virtual off season. So uh, a lot still to come and we wait and see when a, we can even get back in our building B we can hit the practice field and see what this whole season will look like. I'm just excited. I mean, we have a tough enough time with three-man Zooms. Like, 90-man Zooms are going to be uh, insane. I, I just can't imagine what that's like. But all credit to Kevin Stefanski and his coaching staff for, for managing those kind of things. Yeah, they, uh, they continue to, to do a fantastic job. Same with our IT department, who I think are working around the clock and taking turns napping when they can uh, to make sure that everybody is up and running and everybody has – what they need. That's going to wrap up this week's uh, best podcast available. We're back with you on Tuesday. Zagura will rejoin us and uh, we'll continue to meet some of these new rookies and new faces and get to know them. We'll talk to a few new players next week as well. Want to thank Jeff McDaniel for all of his help. Want to thank Nick Harris. Want to thank Arby's. Thanks for being our presenting sponsor. We appreciate it. Love them. Get to Arby's today. You can go through the drive through they take all the measures, all, everything safety first to get you some of the best food that you will eat. Uh, we appreciate Arby's for coming on board with us. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe today to, today to the best podcast available. You can also check us out on the Browns YouTube page, youtube.com slash Browns. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.